what I wanted to do is that I wanted to really understand what this process was like. And I also wanted to make something interesting because uh, deep down inside, I'm just an incredibly restless, bored, idiotic person that just needs to keep doing something. People start podcasts for a variety of reasons, sometimes for money, fame, promotion, or just need to express themselves. Whatever their reasons for doing a podcast, these podcasters face many of the same challenges when it comes to creating something new, different, and of value. I'm Michael O'Connell. This is It's All Journalism. If you're a podcaster, there's a good chance you know who Nick Kwa is. Since 2014, he's been producing The Hot Pod, the podcast industry's leading newsletter. He also writes about podcasts for Vulture and recently launched Servant of Pod with Nick Kwa, a weekly podcast about podcasts. Nick, welcome to It's All Journalism. Hey, how's it going? So, uh, yeah, before we turn on the microphones, I asked you, so I guess, you know, you've been writing about podcasts long enough, it was time for you to actually uh, get your feet wet. That's one way to put it, sure. <laughs> <laughs> I guess the first obvious first question is, is how did you get interested in podcasts? The short version of the story is I come from, a, so I'm not American, I come from Malaysia. And where I'm from, there isn't quite a tradition of you know, either narrative radio or talk radio that's kind of, ele quote unquote, elevated from, you know, just kind of like morning zoo kind of stuff. And so when I got to the States for college, I heard public radio one day, was really interested in what I was hearing, decided to find where I could get it on demand. And lo and behold, sort of led me to the, the podcast section, the iTunes sort of platform. And from there, that was sort of when I started getting exposed to a lot of the, the podcasts that was coming around around that time, which was 2009, 2010. And, you know, it's one of those things where it just stuck to me. And it wasn't until around 2013 when I was sort of by myself in Chicago, uh, going to grad school, where I just found myself listening to podcasts a whole lot more for just company and for like emotional, like, you know, conditioning, and it's on something that's been with me ever since. So what is it that has appealed to you about podcasts that maybe other mediums you know, haven't sort of filled that gap? I mean, for me specifically, I'm a little bit of an auditory learner. Like, I, I feel like I absorb things a little better when it's told to me. But also, I mean, it's one of those things where I think I've, I just have this fascination to eavesdrop. And I just really enjoy listening to people either have conversations on their own and kind of butt in halfway there is a level of, you know, when it comes to something like television, for example, there's a lot of artifice that's involved with the way it creates images and how it tries to, to set you in an emotion. And when it comes to text, there, there's a way in which certain forms of storytelling or argumentation feel really sort of rigid and constructed. There's something about audio that's, for lack of a better word, hyper real to me. It it feels very much more like reality than television or text. And that's something that I think my brain really responded to. Yeah. And that's actually one of the things that, that's always sort of appealed to me about the medium. You know, I listened to radio when I was growing up and it was all music radio. Was I wasn't particularly listening to NPR or long form audio storytelling, but there was a period of time where I was doing a lot of commuting and podcasting for me was, you know, a lot of the same thing that you said, this idea of you know, you're sort of listening in on somebody else's conversation. It was very personal. It's one of the things that always appealed to me about it is that sort of one-on-one -on -one connection that you have with the host. And it just makes it that much more powerful. So you started Hot Pod. Tell me about that process and, and how that's sort of grown over, over the years. 
Yeah, I mean, it's one of those classic stories where it was a side project that suddenly became a full-time engagement. I was working in a newsroom elsewhere and one of my sort of like first jobs in media. And I was kind of really sort of underutilized at the time. And I just felt like I, I wasn't learning as quickly as I wanted to. And it was sort of late 2014 when the first season of Serial really started popping. And I started seeing a lot of uh, news articles written about it and sort of mainstream publications covering the podcast as a phenomenon. And having been a consumer for quite a bit by that time, I was sort of really interested in what the sort of coverage was in saying about podcasts, which is how does the business side of it work? And so that was the impetus for me to start a newsletter and a side project just to start writing about it and to get some thoughts down. I treated it very much like a blog. You know, these are the things that's interesting, interesting to me. These are the things that I'm thinking about when I'm listening to this. These are the things that I'm listening to. And, you know, week in, week out, just never stopped doing it ever since. And it, and it just suddenly kind of developed enough of an audience that I felt at some point, you know, maybe like a year and a half, two years later, that was enough to maybe jump off and try to build a business around it. Let's talk about how things have sort of changed since you started Hot Pod and you're sort of paying attention to what's going on in the business side. In those early days, you know, post-serial, people were wondering, well, can you make money with podcasts? Can it grow to a point where it's a, it's almost a medium of itself separate from television and, and other broadcasts and radio? What are your thoughts about sort of its growth in the last 13 years since since you started? You know, so when I started writing about podcasts, you know, there was already an emergent business there. I don't want to overplay it, nor do I want to underplay it, because I think there's a tendency for people who've been in space far longer than I have to, like, you know, what's the word, exaggerate how developed it was and how democratic it was. And there's also a, a tendency to underestimate how difficult all of it was when I first stepped in, or started thinking about the space. So in late 2014, there was already a pretty uh, solid couple of years of direct response advertising. It was due to a lot of kind of networks at a time that really found an audience and that really found a way to draw in a certain kind of advertiser that can really capitalize on what was unique about podcasting, which is this relationship, this sort of theorized strong relationship between a listener and a podcaster. Since late 2014, it initially started as a growth of that director's response advertising muscle. Um, and then it's really, really quickly, especially as more attention started being paid to podcasting, evolved into this question of like, when will the brand advertisers come? Where, where will the When will the Coke and Pepsis and the Hulus and all the major five, Fortune 500 corporations that do not rely on, you know, very rudimentary promo code conversions, when will they start spending huge budgets on this? And then very quickly after that, it started becoming almost like a given. And now it feels in mid-2020, I feel like the momentum has shifted in the opposite direction where a lot of people are asking, can we kind of slow this down? Can we put the genie back in the bottle to some extent? So, you know, the sort of second catalyst, I kind of feel, and I've made this argument before that the biggest thing that happened to podcasting since Cyril was Spotify, pouring that much money into the space and pouring that much attention and technological emphasis onto the space and this sort of concern that is going to lead us to, you know, commodification of podcasting the same way that we've seen the rest of the internet, like display advertising. So all of which is to say in a very long run, uh, long winded kind of pattern here, it changed a lot. And I'm always sort of curious as to what the assumptions are at any given point of time. <laughs> the folks who are coming up with hot takes at any given point of time, what they're responding to. And, and right now it's, 
it feels like there's a fascinating golden age argument that's happening, which is things were really good in 2008 or things were really good in 2014. But I remember what it was like in 2014 and a lot of people had a real hard time making a living off of this. And it's funny because I had somebody on the podcast about a year ago who was sort of making the argument that it was over, that podcasting growth is kind of over, that certain entities like NPR, you know, they're going to sort of lock up their space and the innovation that was has been sort of driving it is, is kind of a disappear or this kind of like plateau. But at the same time, we see continued growth, you know, over, over 10 years in audience and, you know, more people talk about podcasts than, and are, are aware of them they were 10 years ago or, or even last year. So do you think, you know, podcasts will continue to grow or do you think we're going to get to a place where everything's going to kind of shake out? And we're going to be at this spot. We're all going to sort of exist. <laughs> Just the, the concept that podcasting's over. It reminds me a little bit of like the Francis Fukuyama thing that history is over. I think what that person is saying, and I don't know, I didn't listen to the episode, but I've heard versions of this before. And it goes a little bit like this. It is that podcasting as we knew it, this whole open ecosystem, anybody can publish, anybody can access an audience. Maybe some people can make a business, not everybody. That sort of sense of freedom and that kind of innovation is over because either there'll be gatekeeping layers constructed on top of what was podcasting or the format of three dudes sitting around a table speaking to microphones about technology that they'll be pushed out and gentrified out by publishers that participate in the space and you know start investing in the higher quality experiences for audio and podcasting so you know it's more of a i feel a community argument and maybe uh, quite possibly a structural argument if a couple of things play out. Specifically, if we end up in a place where not everybody can publish freely or the ecosystem at which where everybody can publish freely, that listeners just move away from that. And look, I think it still remains to be seen. It really depends on how Spotify executes on its current ambitions and whether that execution involves actually literally closing up the space as opposed to closing it up on a technicality not trying to dismiss or downplay that fear or anxiety, but I, I think it is one that is still a little bit premature. We have to see how where this goes. Mm -hmm. So could you, for those who, who may not be familiar with Spotify and what they're trying to do, could you sort of you know, describe that? From a sort of ones and zeros perspective, what Spotify is trying to do is that they're trying to increase podcast listening on their platform and they're trying to become an all-consuming audio streaming platform, which is to say they're... They want to, you know, diversify away from just being dependent on the music industry and depending on music assets. So podcasting is its big play right now. And, you know, if you just kind of think through the argumentation and the way they've been messaging their ambitions over the past uh, year and a half, two years now, podcasting is going to be one of many things that they're trying to go after. You know, it's just a big thing right now. So part of their play involves signing exclusive deals, which by very definition is the opposite of open because you know having one show only exist on one platform as opposed to all platforms you know that's that's just not open right so if that becomes the norm or if that becomes the majority of how most people interface with podcasting which is to say like if in 2024 if 80% of quote unquote podcast consumers consume on Spotify culturally it's become less open than it was that's the sort of argumentation you gotta think about this yeah a lot of anxiety around that philosophical fault line for sure and i could see that maybe there would still be an ecosystem where the three guys in their garage 
talking politics or whatever can still have a podcast, but they wouldn't necessarily have the reach. I mean, we've seen plenty of people do podcasts who don't particularly care about their reach and don't particularly care about growing to a particular size or monetizing or whatever. But there are many people who who strive to do that. So if there are barriers in place, it's going to sort of dissuade them. Right. And we got to nuance this out. There are hard barriers and there are soft barriers, right? There are hard barriers in the sense, like, are you paying somebody to be on your platform? But the soft barriers is... I am putting my show out in an ecosystem that very small percentage of this larger like sector is consuming. So that you know it's it's that's why it gets a little bit dicey in the analysis. Yeah. And you know, a lot of podcasters it it is very much the you're throwing your bottle out into the ocean and hoping somebody listen to it. But the need for some sort of networking type system where that you build brand loyalty and where you, you have people know that they can, there's going to be a certain quality of a certain type of podcast. that's going to help in the discovery and the growth of audience, being able to get into that space. If you're a podcaster, that would be great. But then on the other hand, you know, other people wouldn't be able to get into that. So you can see how it could sort of segment things out. Yeah, right. Sure. We should like take a couple of steps back as well and just keep in mind, you know, we've seen versions of this before, right? We've seen this in the internet. <laughs> Technically speaking, nothing is stopping you from creating a website and uh, sending it out on a great wide web. But the equation then becomes like, how are you being going to be found? You know, are you going to be able to access audiences? So there's a way in which like, this is a cultural argument as opposed to a structural argument. Right. What we're talking about, we're arguing across purposes, cultural versus structural. Mm. But anyway, so looking at the current like podcasting landscape, what are the things that sort of, you know, right now are kind of interesting you, the types of podcasts are going on, you know, besides Spotify, what maybe some companies are working on? So the thing that fundamentally and originally drew me to the space is the work. You know, I mean, it's a very sort of rudimentary and basic thing to say, but it's like, I am interested in the people who are making stuff in this medium. And that goes up and down the line. It touches a lot of people who are the actual talents behind the mic, all the way to the people who are thinking about sound design and thinking about narrative and all is all the way down to somebody who came up with a really good premise or concept for a show so that that to me is honestly the most important and interesting thing to me ironically it is not the thing that dominates most of my sort of professional focus because as much as people say that they want podcast criticism <laughs> people don't pay for it people pay for market analysis which i am also quite interested i mean i'm also very interested and passionate about but Spotify will come, maybe they'll stay, maybe they'll be all-powerful and all-consuming, whatever, da-da-da-da-da. But the thing that I, that really keeps me here and I think that really keeps me interested is who's the next person that's going to make the the really interesting thing? Well, who's going to tell the next really interesting story? Who's going to have the next really interesting interview show or conversation show? Why is this different? How are they contributing to larger discourse? How are they improving us or building civic society in interesting ways? Those will always be the things that be super interesting to me in podcasting and media in general. One of the things that excites me about podcasting right now is that, you know, there's still a lot of freedom, but there's also, I think people are kind of waking up to the creativity in it that maybe they weren't aware of, you know, 10 years ago. This concept of just one person or two people on a mic talking to each other, like you and me. But this idea of, of sound design and playing with the format so that you can have different types of shows. It's not just like talking heads, but it's, you know, actually something that's designed to be very entertaining. I find that really exciting that it just seems like people are sort of waking up or at least maybe we're seeing more opportunities for people to be more creative in the way that they tell stories in the podcasting space. 
Uh, I mean, I don't know if if they're waking up now. I think there's always been awareness that that was happening <laughs> over the past couple of years. You know, it's it's literally the reason that I, I, I feel like we're disagreeing on everything here. <laughs> Which is, you know, I guess suppose you know if we agreed on everything, it probably would be that a would much true. less interesting conversation. But no, but yes, please. Yeah, no, but the thing is, I mean, that's one has to sort of grok the reality that commercial radio has failed us creatively in many different ways. Same goes with linear public radio in to some extent. There is a reason in which like podcasting has really shook up the culture and what was possible in public radio prior to when podcasting was a thing. I think, you know, that is debatable. I'm sure that there'll be executives over there that would dispute me on this. But, you know, you don't get Sam Sanders if you never got an NPR politics podcast. That's just what it is. And so I think that that has always been sort of the defining contribution of podcasting perhaps more so than this open publishing thing. That's sort of my relationship to it. Again, a lot of people have their own perspective on what podcasting brought to the table, but that's that's where I come from. It's where I operate from. I come from the space of you know being a podcaster, but also having worked at a radio station that was a commercial radio station where there was an awareness of commercial radio was, was kind of in trouble. And at the same time, they were seeing sort of this rise in this new medium and then trying to figure out, well, is this something that we can do? Is this something we can monetize? Is there some way for us to do what we're doing, but doing it in a, in a podcasting space? Me being outside, inside that, but also outside of it going, you know, the problem is, is not acknowledging, you know, the, the faults in your current system and what's not working in radio, commercial radio, and trying to take commercial radio and sort of somehow create it as a, as a podcast is, is kind of problematic because you're not really kind of addressing the fundamental problems that you've got as an industry. You know, as you sort of said, there's this public radio also has its own issues that aren't quite the same. As, I mean, as we all got radio. issues. That's, I mean, that's, yeah, we all got, we've you know, we're all, all got sinners issues. here in this universe. We're, exactly. And it's, you know, it's all this weird sort of, you know, audio production shell game that we're all playing here, trying to go for that audience. But I think, you know, the re- recognition that, that much of radio listening audience, either public or even commercial radio, has, has somehow shifted to this other medium. And for a lot of different reasons, and not just because of the content, because, you know, the, the way that they consume it is different and it's easier for them in many ways. Or it certainly has become a lot more easy in, in recent years. You started your you started a podcast. We should talk about that. Tell me, <laughs> how did Servant of Pod come about? It came about because I was just creatively interested to see what the process was like. And I also had a couple of things I want to explore. And there's also just a couple of things I just wanted to do. I want to be upfront on this. You know, I didn't start a podcast to get <laughs> like rich or whatever. Uh, <laughs> Join the if, club. If I really wanted to be fucking rich, I would have gone, I would listen to my mom and gone to law school. What I want to do is that I wanted to really understand what this process was like. And I also wanted to make something interesting because uh, deep down inside... I'm just an incredibly restless, bored, idiotic person that just needs to keep doing something. So with Servant of Pod, what I really want to do is like, can I sort of understand what the the grind of making a weekly show is like at a high level? You know, can this be a something that I do, something I can add to my sort of mix in addition to a newsletter and the work that I do with New York Magazine and Vulture, to which I am a contributor? You know, I kind of sat down, I made a list of possible partners because I didn't want to, I didn't want to just do a podcast by myself because I just didn't have the bandwidth. I needed some form of a team or some form of assistance from people who 
you know, really knew how to handle the production side of things. And I was interested in LA Studios uh, largely because of a producer that had worked there. She's no longer there. But I reached out to their team and like asked if they would be interested in collaborating on a show. That was a couple of months ago. And uh, and now I have a show. So that's that's what it is. But from uh, what the point of this podcast is, is that I'm, I'm trying to create at least a document of, you know, here are several really interesting people and really interesting shows, really interesting executives to me that tell something representative about the story of podcasting. And can I successfully make that argument over a stretch of 40 episodes, which is how long the contract is right now? And uh, yeah, so that's that's why I did the show and that's why I'm doing the show. It's also one of those things where I think the medium really dictates the engagement of the analytical engagement, like just doing booking these interviews and doing it and thinking about how do you conduct these interviews for consumer to, to listen to, for an audience to, to ingest in a way that's interesting and exciting to them, really helped me sort of open up the way I think about certain forms of journalism and certain forms of performance and all that kind of thing. So it's it's a theoretical experiment as much as it is a creative experiment. You haven't probably recorded all 40 of the episodes, but what have you discovered so far about the differences in producing a podcast than, say, covering a story for Vulture one of my long-time frustrations with writing is that it's always you, right? Like even if you, even if you adopted a third-person perspective, or the sort of omnipresent or, om- or omniscient sort of voice of God narrative form and structure, and then most like the base form of this is the column, right? It's a first-person, almost first-person view, which is the sort of style that I I almost always gravitate to. Is that you're always stuck in your fucking head? Like you you always you always kind of like grind it grind a certain story or theory or argument out in your head. And when you put on paper, you know, you, you kind of block out certain other things, especially when you're draw, drawing in sources and quotes and interviewees. You're still fitting them within your little bucket. Um, not so much, I think, when you when you conduct an interview over a microphone. Uh, if you, you know, we've only put out two episodes. We put out a third the day after we're recording this. But the podcast is highly edited. We we do break apart the guests and we restructure it and we add framing to it. But the there's something about being able to have them speak in their own voice, have them speak in their own terms that gives them a sense of autonomy that I'm really sort of drawn to. And I and I'm sort of really I've been sort of really excited or interested in how it's become less of me uh, <laughs> in this sort of presentation of the podcast world even though that I, I do have like final say in how the episode ultimately comes out. It's a really intriguing form of giving away a little bit of control there. And also, you know, the, the inverse is also kind of true. Like I sound for the most part like a fucking idiot when I'm asking these questions. And I I think bringing a little bit of the humanity to the work is, is super interesting because, you know, people got to know that the person asking these questions is also an idiot. So that's part of what's been pleasurable about this. That's actually been a lot of my experience with with being a podcaster, starting out as a journalist, a print journalist, a digital journalist, and then going in to podcasting, working at a radio station, not doing any radio, but but actually having access to microphones where I could I could record a podcast, and you know, experience a lot of the same sort of frustration that sort of seemed to go away when you when you begin talking to people. And this is one of the things that has always been attractive to me about podcasting is the accessibility of the host. I think that's one of the things that kind of turned me off about, you know, working at a radio station and, and hearing radio people, even people covering the news, is just how, you know, polished it was to the point where it wasn't even almost kind of human. But the person, you know, sounded great, 
but you know didn't seem at all engaged in in the conversation or or in the story and for me that was kind of a turnoff yeah it goes back to this concept of artifice i think i was talking about it's sort of like voice of god um you know hey like it's it's it was it's wednesday morning da, 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 with this sort of uppity kind of artificial feel to the voice yeah no i th- I, I don't know i i kind of feel i i'm still still trying to parse through whether this is a uniquely 2020 thing or if this has always been the case but like i think these days i'm really struggling with just like corporate bullshit almost like you know you turn on the news cable tv cable news there's a way in which like how much of this is a performance like why is my brain melting i just really want to know what's going on like i really want to know how to feel and it's hard to really trust people who you know more often than not are richer than you and more often not are are polished and have affects that that really create separation between you and the host or or whatever the talent is that you're sort of absorbing information from so bringing a little bit of the of the humanity and the fallibility is i think it really does open up some things when it comes to questions of trust and authenticity, which is a horrible word, but it's, it's still very, very much relevant. I don't mean to overemphasize the power or the value of <laughs> performed or the authenticity, right? No, we're, no, no. we're all editing to some form or extent, yeah. right? And, and that's really important to just grok. Oh, no, that's the other thing. Yeah, that's the other thing people don't always realize. Even the most uh, pick your... You know your favorite you know interview podcast. You know Vic Mark Maron. His podcast is edited. Everybody's podcast is edited. Every good podcast is edited for a reason because we spend a lot of time on innocuous, uninteresting things. Nick, this has been a great conversation. I really enjoyed having you on the podcast. I'm looking forward to uh, listening to all your episodes of your podcast as you're going forward. Oh wait, we're already I, done. <laughs> we're already done. This is this is this is how this podcast works. All right. Wow. That was is really there quick. something else? Is there something else you want to talk? Uh, you you said that you packed a lunch, didn't you? You packed a lunch for. I'm here to talk for five hours. No, I mean no, like, it, we can go wherever you want to go. Like you know, I, I don't know what's in your heart. Like if you want to keep, keep we going, can I can keep, keep talking. Going. Let's keep talking. Like, yeah. We're two we're two people who care about podcasts and think too much about it. Probably. Well, let me let me let me frame this this way. What is the one thing that you want to ask me that you really want to ask me? Okay, um, what is it that, you, that annoys you most about podcasters? Um, hmm. that the, and you know, what, what I find annoying about podcasters is the same thing that I find annoying about most people in the world is that they think that they're a hundred percent correct in whatever they believe in, which is, <laughs> you know, I, I don't know what it is about my brain, but I always think I'm wrong. And I'm, I know I always think that somebody's wrong. I always think that we only operate with five to 10% of information at best and any sort of hardcore belief in the 10% that you have is dangerous and is unproductive. So yeah, that's, that's, the, <laughs> that's another yeah, one. You, and I, I, I say this like looking, you know, staring at a news article about public health officials getting death threats right now. So I'm just like, you know, oh, oh, we're in a tough, we're in a tough place. And, you know, podcasting is a community like any other and it carries a microcosm of the society. So, yeah, there's that. And, you know, there's many second order things that annoy me about podcasts, one of which is the perennial belief that they are the underdog, which is a, a <laughs> sin that I carry myself. I like your idea that you look at other people and you realize, well, I know I don't have an answer and you think you have an answer. That can't be right. 
just that understanding is, yeah, I think it's pretty probably a, a good adaptation. Yeah, no, it's tough, you know, to podcast seriously and the and the whims and the worries of podcasters seriously when when the world is in the the condition. It no, is. no, I mean, let me, let me be clear. I want to clarify. I take their concerns seriously, which is part okay. of the problem. I take it very seriously, even though. <laughs> even though there's a pandemic it's one of those things where it's like all of our universes is so important to us no matter what it is right like oh, yeah. I, I don't really want to dismiss anybody's anxiety or concerns however you know a little bit of humanity and how people treat each other is always a little nice yeah all right nick this has been great i enjoyed our conversation good luck with your podcast with your 40 episodes i think it's going to do really well i appreciate you take it easy man You've been listening to It's All Journalism, a weekly podcast about the people who make the news. You can find out more about us and download past episodes at itsalljournalism.com. While you're visiting our website, why not sign up for the It's All Journalism newsletter? You'll get all the latest info about our podcast, including episode notes and news about live events and upcoming interviews. Go to itsalljournalism.com to subscribe. It takes a lot of people to create an episode of It's All Journalism. Nicole Grisco produced this episode. Amber Healy wrote our web content. Nick Dupre wrote our theme music. Emilio Brust helped with our booking. Nicholas Hunter provided a web assist. And I'm your host, Michael O'Connell. Thanks for listening.